Man, it's great to have you guys here, and uh, we are in a series, Gospel Deep, His Glory Unleashed. His glory unleashed. And what does it mean for God to begin to do an amazing work in us? Um, we've talked about Romans 1 through 3, right? We trampled on his glory. We trampled on it as we made it all about us. And uh, we decided to go about sinning and me and whatever felt good. And the world according to me, Romans 1 through 3, right? But God has a fix for the fact that we trampled on his glory. Romans 4 and 5. And uh, his glory restored. And now we're in his glory unleashed, Romans 6 and 7. What does it mean for God to begin to pour out on us, to do an amazing work in us? I just wrote these words down. Life with Christ, faith, trust, hope, and change. And This is what it means to be walking with our God, a normal walk with our God, a healthy walk with our God where he's pouring on us life change. And um, look, it starts with what we call belief as we trust in him, right? Belief. And then quickly after that really should be scripturally moving to baptism as we celebrate what it means to be following him and that we're with him. And by the way, little newsflash, just so you know, we're going to be having a baptism service in three weeks. All right. Coming up on March 2nd, we're going to be doing a baptism service here. Whole morning dedicated to baptism. So if you have trusted in Christ as your savior... And you have not been baptized since, come join us. Let's be a part of that, all right? Get a note to us, stop at the welcome desk, or send us an email, or get online and register there. Make sure you're a part of that. It's in three weeks coming up. Looking forward to it. Belief, and then baptism, and then, and then the battle of being a believer, following after Christ, and knowing what it means to be handing things over and seeing him do a work, and it's it's not just all perfection, right? Romans chapter 6, we are dead to sin. Romans chapter 7, and we are dead to the law. And, and sin has no dominion, and, and there is no power over us. We now can choose, right? And he says, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies. Great. So we should all be perfect then. And uh, well, how come that's not true? That's what we're going to be looking at today. What is the normal expectation of the Christian's walk, the believer's walk, as God is unveiling his glory to us? Turn with me, if you will, to Romans chapter 7, verse 7. Romans 7, 7. And we're going to have uh, ushers coming forward with Bibles. If you do not have a Bible, just raise your hand and they'll get one to you, all right? Just raise your hand, they'll get a Bible to you. We're going to go verse by verse through uh, verses 7 to 20 here. So... uh What do we need to know about this normal walk with Christ, this expected walk with him as his glory is unleashed in us? First step, uh, see the law as good. See the law as good. Paul goes back over this one more time before he dives in and we have to get it before we move or we're going to be missing the big picture. See the law as good. So let's start in verse seven. What then shall we say? Have you noticed how Paul opens a lot of these with questions? Right. What then shall we say? And then his answer, right? He says uh, that the law is sin by no means. Right. He asks a question and then he always gives the answer. And the answer is by no means. You've got to be kidding me. Absolutely not. No way. So he's he's asking a question to those who might be doubting. He's saying, I'm sure you're asking this. Let me ask it for you. And then I'm going to give you the answer. No. Right. 
And, and so listen, we just got done saying in chapter 6 that we're dead to sin. And, and everybody knows sin is horrible, right? And we're dead to that. Well, now in chapter 7, we're dead to the law. Does that make the law horrible? Like if I'm dead to the law and I need to be dead to it, maybe it's like, well, and if I'm dead to sin and the law, maybe they're like one in the same sin and law. And so he says, what then shall we say? That the law is sin? I mean, I'm having to be dead to both of them. And uh, by no means. That's the answer. Is the law sin? By no means. So get ready. I'm going to need you to answer for me as I read and ask the question again. Here we go. What then shall we say? That the law is sin? I agree with you. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. He's like, listen, we are dead to the law, but the law brings some great stuff. It's a measuring stick, a clarifier. It's, as we talked about last week, Galatians 3.24, a tutor that leads us to the need for a savior. And the law has value. He says, uh, yet I would not have known it. Uh, for I would not have known what it is to covet, except that the law said, you shall not covet, right? He's walking along and he's like, I got my act together. I so understand how awesome I am. That's little apostle Paul. And he's like really proud of himself. And, and then as he gets into different pieces of the law, he starts seeing things in grievous forms. And all of a sudden the, the law says, thou shalt not covet. And he's like, What's covet? You know, covet. Like when you want what your neighbor has. Oh, I do that all the time. I think Jesus over here has awesome stuff. And I wanted his thing. And Abraham over here, man, did I want what he had. I'm telling you what, that boy has some nice looking sheep. You know what I'm saying? And right. And all of a sudden you're beginning to covet. You're beginning to want. And well, actually you want it all the time. You just didn't even realize it was wrong. And see, that's what the law starts to do. It clarifies for us our position before him. And for I would not have known what it is to covet, except the law said, you shall not do that covet. But sin seizing an opportunity through the uh, commandment produced in me all kinds of covetousness. See, I love that. He now is talking about sin as if it's a living, breathing human being with actions and thoughts, right? Uh, in literary form, we call this anthropomorphism, right? I'm giving him human likenesses and sin is now all on its own. It's doing things. It's producing in me. Have you ever felt like that's what's going on in your life, right? And he's like, I'm struggling with this. And it's like, it's doing it on its own, man. It's just producing in me and... Well, it says through the commandment, uh, we talked about this last week and we use my daughters as the example, right? But when you're given the boundary, it draws out in you the desire to step across the boundary. And if not to step across, then to step way away from it and think of how awesome you are for not having stepped on the boundary, right? Law, it, it arouses in us this passion to disobey this passion to have it all about me. And, um, he's like, listen, through the commandment, sin is producing in me all kinds of covetousness. I don't just want his sheep. Now I want his house and his happiness. It's like everything that man has over there. I wish I could have that. How come I don't have it, God? And what's with, and how come not? And, and all of a sudden we want their job description and we want their 
what appears to be their family life and we want their friends and we want their, how come he has and I don't have? And you see, all of a sudden we're looking at our own life and we're thinking, I see little nuances of problem all over in mine. I wish I could get rid of that and take what appears from a distance, right? Because isn't that often what's going on with covetousness? We only are looking at the uh, optimistic or positive stuff in it, but it appears from a distance. That would be way more awesome. And he's like, every facet of me is now coveting. What in the world? I didn't even know it was wrong last week. Now it's everywhere in me, and right? Sin's producing in me. This covetousness says, for apart from the law, sin lies dead. And we better be real careful with this next couple of definitions. All right. Uh, It doesn't mean that sin isn't having its impact. It doesn't mean that sin isn't actually in some way uh, actively being lived out. But in fact, it means he's not even aware that it was wrong. And so he thought of himself as awesome before God. And, And sin lies dead. Like maybe let's put it this way. You know, without the measuring stick, you can't really measure, right? And the law being the measuring stick, without the law, I didn't even know how short I was coming, right? Without the measuring stick, I couldn't even really measure. Sin lied dead. Didn't even know it was wrong. Wasn't having its way with me. In fact, here's the killer. Once I knew it was wrong, then I knew I wasn't supposed to do it. And I did it all the more, right? See, that's what he was saying. Sin lies dead. It just stirs in me this necessity to stand across the line. And that's what he's talking about. He said, I once was alive. Again, remember I'm saying, be very careful what you do with this definition. I once was alive apart from the law. But when the commandment came, sin came in and I died. What's he saying? He's saying, look, as far as I knew it, subjectively, there was no measuring. And without the measuring, I thought I was doing pretty well. In fact, I would have labeled myself good enough. That's what I would have said. Good enough. And, and, but then the measuring stick came in and not so good enough. Right? And that's what he's saying. I found myself to be in a position where before God, wow, do I stand in need. That's what the law brought in. A clarity as a measuring stick. He then says, um, the very commandment that promised life provided death to me. Wow, that sounds bad, doesn't it? It sounds like it didn't deliver the promise. Maybe there's something broken with the law. I think that's what it is. The law is the problem. It isn't me, it's the law. Hang on, we're going to deal with that in just a second, right? He says, the very commandment that promised life uh, provided, uh, proved to be death for me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me. Sin, again, alive in its own thinking force, deceived me and it produced in me it's not the law that's doing it it's the sin that's being aroused by the law it's not the law that's wrong it's the perfect law of liberty it shows us exactly what god's holiness is all about the law doesn't have fault in it the law didn't come up wrong look hear me a lot of us have heard this statement made god tried to save people through the law that didn't work so then he tried christ Yeah, that's junk. All right. That is not what we read in scripture. God making very clear that no one could get there on their own brought in the law to say, let's try this first. Why don't we try where you're looking real good against it and we see how that's going. Let's try that. 
Why don't you try against the law? Let's work there. And oh, by the way, it isn't going to go at all, right? And so back in Romans 4, what did we see? Abraham believed God and it was counted unto him for righteousness, right? It's been faith all along, okay? And the law has just been this measuring stick to make clear that we are coming up short. And Romans 3.23 is true. And by the way, Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the... That's what the law is measuring, I guess, against, right? It's not for all have sinned and come short of Pete, the guy next to you. That's what we like to do. Compare me against him. I'm better than him. I'm doing good. That's not what the law is there for. It's to compare us against the glory of God and show us in need. All right? And uh, so it says, the law deceived. Uh, How does that happen? So I just wrote this down. Four hollow promises of sin. Four hollow promises of sin. Trust me, you're being whispered this every time you bite in and go after sin. Number one, first hollow promise, satisfaction. Man, it's going to feel so good. You're just not going to believe what washes over you when you lose your stack and yell at them. You wouldn't believe how satisfying that is when you finally put them in their place. Or, oh man, when you get a taste of what you shouldn't, when you're eating way more than you should have, when you're drinking way more than you should, when you're outside of marriage experiencing and tasting of sex when you shouldn't, when you, I'm just telling you, so satisfying. The whisper from the pit of hell, the deception of sin. And we buy into it in the moment. You're like, you know, right before it. No, that's so wrong. And then you get there and the whisper, it's so satisfying. And you're like, isn't it though? It's got to be so satisfying. And, and then there's this little moment of war. Like, no, I shouldn't, I shouldn't. I, I really want to though. And, and I'm in. And we buy into satisfaction. Or maybe number two, profitability. It's going to be profitable for me. Look, if I go down this path, I will gain more respect. I will have more friends. I will get higher up the ladder in job. I will, this will work for me. Somehow it will bring to my benefit either more money or more prestige or, or at least feeling better in some way. Profitability. It will be satisfying, like just enough of it and I'll have it. Once I taste it, that's enough and it will be valuable to me to have it. Everybody say that's a lie. I agree with you. It's not satisfying. It's not profitable. And number three, uh, the hollow promise, there won't be any consequence. Don't worry about it. You've done this before. It didn't turn out that bad. Come on, go after it. And every moment we take that step away from the holiness of God and toward self, really no consequence. Be careful. There is absolutely consequence. As we begin to teach ourself to like self all the more, there is consequence. And it can get even more dramatic than that. And I mean, we even get to the spot where once we're busted, then we blame the people who busted us. Right? It even gets as bad. You know, I'm in trouble with the police. Can't believe those guys. Don't they have anything better to do than... And be careful. And, and hear me on this. Often, just so you know... Your loving God, if you've trusted in him as your savior, at work in your life, will bust you. And as much as you don't think it should come out and you've done everything to hide it correctly, 
he's going to bring it out. No consequence. That's just, you're dealing with fire. It's going to burn you. Be careful. The hollow promises of sin, satisfaction, profitability, no consequence. And the last one, no, actually, it's okay. It's not even wrong. That's, that's what America has chosen to do, right? Uh, all, all we say about sin in America is we define it and then we redefine it and we now say it's cool. And now it's just good. No, it's really, it's okay. It's not, it's not even wrong. You're misunderstanding. That's very judgmental of you. It's okay. And uh, no, be careful. Sin will eat you alive. It's deceptive because it speaks to yourself. It speaks to your soul. And that part of you that hasn't been transformed yet and is in process, well, it's being duped into thinking this will be a really good thing for the moment. Sin deceives us and we go after it. Notice what he says right after it. And through it, it's killed me. So the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Uh, Law is good. Sin is not. Law is good. Sin is not. Go ahead and just say that with me. The law is good. Sin is not. That's the clarity to it. It's that simple. And yet we are dead to sin and we are also dead to the law. The law is going to reveal that we have come up short and we are in need of a savior. And that is all it can do. Uh, Here's the best illustration I can give for you. The law is good, but it actually is not the fix. So, uh, um, my birthday was actually Friday, February 7th. And, uh, yeah, thank you. Happy birthday. I appreciate that. And, uh, yeah, communicating crowd. I love that. And, uh, so, um, that was Friday night. A year ago, Friday night, a year ago was when I received the diagnosis of the tumor that I had on my birthday a year ago. And, uh, that wasn't necessarily the way I wanted to spend my birthday a year ago. Had a, had a fever and feeling sick and went in and we got an MRI and ended up getting a call from a doctor and a very close friend of ours and just said, look, here's, we've got good news and then there's a downside to that news, right? And the good news is we found it, it's the tumor and the downside is uh, it's going to need surgery and we're going to have to address it. And um, so I said, well, what does that mean? And so he sent over the MRI. And you got to love technology. So I still have in my email, I looked at it last night, still have the email picture of it. And I looked at it and I'm like, oh, where is it? <laughs> I don't know what it's supposed to look like, you know? What's, what's healthy? What's not? And, and he writes back, LOL, with this big arrow at this giant circle of a tumor right between my eyes and back. And it's like, this is bad. Right? And uh, listen, the MRI helped reveal that I had an issue, but the MRI was not going to fix it. The law. It reveals that you have something going on in you that's broken, but not going to fix it. Here's another quote for it. The law. The law is like a light, not a broom. The law shows you the dirt on the floor, but it does not clean it up. All right? The law is good. The law is holy. The law is righteous. But the law is not our method for being clean before God, Jesus Christ and him alone. Amen? That's what we're talking about. So simple question, and this is more a perspective thing at first, but do you get that the law's job is simply to reveal? Do you get that? And be careful if you're leaning on the law to either get saved 
or you're leaning on the law to stay saved, or you're leaning on the law to compare yourself to the guy next to you and feel a little better about you, you're missing the point. The law needs to show us that we've come up short of the glory of God and we're in need of a savior. And that's the role of the law. And it is good at doing that. The law, we'll see it as good. All right? That's our first step in this battle. Number two. So see myself in light of the law, sinful beyond measure. See myself in light of the law, sinful beyond measure. We start in verse 13. Uh, Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. So here we go again. Here's the question and the answer. Did that which is good, the law, then bring death to me? By no means. And uh, why is he saying that? Like, let's be clear. The law is not what's bringing it. It says, it was sin producing death in me through what is good. The law aroused sin and sin is what brought forth the death. Clear? Sin brings forth the death. Paul is making it very clear that when we say we're dead to the law, the first part of Romans 7, that does not mean the law is bad. Okay? That's all we're trying to get out of this. It's really important. Um, So, did that which is good then bring death to me? Absolutely not. No way. It was sin producing in me through what is good in order that sin might be shown to be sin and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. Uh, Have you ever noticed how dirty your floors look when you actually turn on the lights? Have you ever noticed that? Or even just maybe let's say it this simple, how unpicked up the house is when you finally turn on the lights. And, And when you keep it all dark and dim, you're like, Actually, it looks pretty good. As far as I can tell, there's a big couch right here and the countertop in the bedroom. And I'm going in, right? And then you turn the lights on and you're like, oh, have we not done anything for a couple days? What are we thinking about, right? And, and the moment that we see more mess, well, you can be sure of this. You've turned the lights up. You've started looking a little more. And uh, he's just saying very clearly, Sin was shown to be sin, and more than that, became sinful beyond measure. Uh, Here's what I love. When we talk about ourselves coming up short before the glory of God, we think this way. Glory of God, us. Right? Here's what he's saying. Glory of God, us. Do you know what I'm saying? We're not just missing it by a little bit, man. We're missing in massive ways. Sinful beyond measure. It has taken over our souls. Before Christ, we are running rampant with self. And every expression is all about me. And I can't wait for me to be lifted up. And sinful beyond measure. Huge deal. That we understand the devastating nature of sin. It says, verse 14, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh. Okay, we just now shifted into the present tense. Everything up till now has been past tense, past tense, past tense. It produced in me past tense, past tense. The law is spiritual. I am. Everybody say that's present tense. You know what that means? Present tense? Like it's happening right now. So Paul, as a believer, Penning this as the apostle writing it, I am in the present tense of the flesh. 
sold under sin. Hang on. What? I thought we just got done with Romans 6 where we're like free from sin and, and we're breaking the shackles and no more bondage and what's up with that? And what does he mean by this? And look, here's the best way to understand it. Let's throw up a, another slide here. This is the throwback to where we've been. All right. You recognize this slide. And so this is the definition of who we are, the mind on the top, the flesh on the left and the spirit on the right. Okay. And uh, before Christ, we don't have the Holy Spirit in us. We don't have any renewing going on. It's just us and we're all about us. All right. And then after we've trusted in Christ, the Holy Spirit takes up residence and he is now present within indwelling us. He's changing our spirit. He's shaping and transforming. Our mind is being renewed. There's pieces on the right, what we would call the new self, slowly becoming more and more like Christ. Praise be to God. This is what it would look like for us to be as a believer and growing in him. And notice flesh is still there. All right. Paul's definition here, you need to understand, I am, even as a believer, still having flesh in me. I am a flesh. There's a part of me that's screaming me, and it's still there, and it has huge bangs. It speaks to me, and it longs for me itself to be satisfied. And flesh, it's still a part of us after we're saved. Uh, If you don't have this picture in mind, if you drop the flesh, or here's even a weirder one, when you start saying flesh is going to be reduced or transformed itself, nowhere in scripture does it say that. When you start giving hope that the pangs will scream less, you are giving people false hope. You hearing me? The flesh has the pangs and the screams like always. The matured believer has a mind where he's able to say, yeah, I ain't listening to that. Same scream, stronger mind. That's a big deal. And Paul's like, you just need to know, I feel like I'm, I'm like sold under sin. That flesh keeps panging. I know it's about Christ and I want to worship him and I'm being shaped and growing more like him. But what's with that flesh piece still hanging on me? The battle with sin. He says the law is spiritual, meaning from God, all about him, authored and penned by the almighty creator. But my flesh, yeah, that's, that's me, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions. Have you ever been there? He says, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. You know, where you're like, oh, I am so, today is going to be a different day. No more of, I'm not going to be yelling at the kids, I'm not going to be bad-mouthing my boss. I'm not going to be looking at what I shouldn't be looking at on the computer. I'm Today is a different day. No more yelling today. I'm done. God, may you be glorified in this. And then we open the bedroom door and we walk out. And we see the mess everywhere, whatever you may have that gets you set off. And you're like, what's up with this? Hang on. Lord, I so don't want this to be, I didn't want to do it. And I don't even know what came over me. And right, something sets you off. What is it that sets you off in your life and living? And you wish it wasn't that way, but it is. And I hate that that goes down. And God, I so want this different. And this sin is so disrespectful to you. And I see that right now. 
And then we're in the moment. And it so promises to be satisfying and profitable with no consequence. And it's okay. And, and we taste of it and go after it again. That's what Paul's saying. Notice he says, I am this person. Wrestling with that. Growing in that and being transformed in that. And uh, I love this. Romans 6 is the promise that we have victory over sin. Romans 7 is an early statement of the law. Man, we're dead to that. Christ has fulfilled that. We have hope. He is pumping theological truth into us. We have a king who's doing an amazing work. Truth statement. Awesome preacher moment. As Paul goes, now I know you all are wrestling with real everyday life. Me too. That's Romans 7. I hear you on this, and God doesn't give us instantaneous perfection. He moves us along a path, and that flesh does have pangs, and it does scream out, and I feel like I'm sold under it, man, and I get the angst of this. I see the paradox in it that God's declaring of us, and yet it's not true yet. Hmm, that sounds familiar, doesn't it? Justification as God declares us righteous. He's declared over us what he's now doing in us. And Romans 7 is the exploration of, and that work's not yet done. God's at work in it. And hear me on this, every flesh moment you struggle with, God is not sitting there like this. Seriously, that got to you? You're kidding me. I'm telling you, 90% of you went, he's not? I think he is like, he's not satisfied with sin and he's upset by that. And no, here's what God's doing. You think I don't know that you think I'm not aware of that. I've already declared righteous over all this. I know exactly where I'm at. And right now your angst over that is because I'm pressing in on you. So you see that. I see that already. And I've declared over you that you are righteous. Shed blood of Christ covering you. I'm telling you this now. We're going to do a work on that. Hate that sin. I'm good with that. Love your God. I'm good with that. Shame before him. Are you kidding me? All it is now is on our knees. Thankfulness that he already gets it. And he's working us through it. Praise be to God. Our job is to see. Absolutely 100%. He gets it. And he's ready to transform that right out of you. And Paul, he's simply making this preach statement. I get the practical everyday wrestle. Please don't separate far from your savior because that's where your hope lies. We are sold under sin. And changing ourself is hopeless. And that's what we call muscling it. And we've talked all through that. Do not just give yourself a bunch of rules and then try to go after it. It doesn't get it done. You need the transforming power of the glory of your Holy Spirit and God Almighty in you, or it's going nowhere. Fact. And uh, Hey, we were at uh, a Love and Respect conference yesterday and, and the day before, and um, so we had announced it to the body here and invited you guys. There, were, I forget the number, 160-some 
uh, from here that went over and, and uh, just a massive group of people there at the Love and Respect Conference. It was over at Northwoods and uh, they had like 1,800, 17, 1,800 people there and just a great conference on Friday night and Saturday as 1,700 plus people were there saying this, I know what I want to do and I don't find myself doing it. And I hate that I'm not doing it and I want my spouse so not being hurt by me. What do we need to do? The Love and Respect Conference. It's the Romans 7 declaration of, I need to know some things and that's great to be moving in that and then I want to hand it all over to my God and watch him do an amazing work. Uh, Just a wonderful conference of explanation of the difference between men and women. I've seen it before. I've been through it before. And I'm like... Oh, really? And I'm writing notes down and taking, I didn't even know that. That's a good way to say that. Oh, so missing on that. Like I'm telling you, we need to be students of our spouse. And husbands were called to know and understand and live in an understanding way with. No way you do that unless you're a student of your wife. Guys, our job is to bring that into the home, caring for them and loving on them. And it's not natural for me, Tim. And uh, <laughs> I hear you on that. Time for the Spirit to do a work in you. Lord, take over in me. What do you want done? And as we learn more about them, by the way, we don't learn about them by telling them what we are. We learn about them by asking who they are. All right? And just learning of them and where they're at. The statement of unconditional love that a wife needs to be uh, basically having poured over her. And the unconditional respect that a wife pours back into her husband. Ephesians 5.33. Huge teach. And it's simply saying this, man, the good that I want to do, I don't find myself doing. And uh, 1,700 people there tapping out and saying, teach me. What do I need to go after? And how can I put God at the center? And I love the way he closed the whole seminar off with this massive vertical worship. Hundreds of people coming forward and committing their lives before God to saying, you have this, not us. Do amazing work in our lives. That's what it looks like. That's what it looks like to go after sin in our lives, to get that it's broken and go after change. Not just getting a list of rules, because trust me, if all you do is tell everyone, like he could have sat down at the end of part of Saturday morning and he's given us a bunch of insight to how ladies think and how men think. And he's like, good luck. Is that not just another set of law? And all the law does is reveal our sin. So we come headlong into that and we're like, I so don't do that. Now what? What changes me? What transforms me? The glory of our almighty God and him at work in my life. That's the secret. Man, God has not left us alone in this battle. But if you are alone, you're going to find it very, very painful. If you walk this thing without trusting in God, I read a statement yesterday. It said, how many of us are functional atheists? We act like there's no God. We keep trying to do it all on our own. Have you moved from atheist to functional atheist? And it's time to move to believer on your knees, letting God have his way with your soul. That's what we're called to. So simple question. Where's the law revealing to you your need for healing? What are you being revealed in your life, in your failures, in your sin? What's coming up where you need to sit down with God and say, this needs to change. I'm ready for your spirit to pour over me, Lord. You doing the mighty work. Please take this. Please have this. What is the this for you?
Maybe you're like, hang on, still writing. I got a list. And please be real with God on this. The Holy Spirit convicts us of sin and righteousness and judgment. He moves us to go after him. God has declared over you what you could never do yourself. Can you please now let him do the work in you? Watch him start to transform you from one degree of glory to the next. That's the battle that God calls us to. And uh, all right. Third, I am no longer defined by the flesh. I agree with the law and the war between flesh and spirit is now on. I am no longer defined by the flesh. I agree with the law and the war between flesh and spirit is on. Here we go. We start in verse 16. Remember, this is Paul as a believer. He says, now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh, right? For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want, I keep on doing. You feel it? The angst of back and forth, the struggle with it being changed. Hey, Tim, maybe this isn't even Paul as a believer. How do you know? And uh, let me just say this. Um, five reasons this is Paul as a believer. For some of you, you might be like, I'll just listen to this. Some of you might be needing to write this down because you've heard the other taught. This is Paul before Christ. That is so not the case. Let me give you the reasons why. Uh, number one, it's in the present tense, man. He's like, I am this. I do this. The Apostle Paul, as a believer, writing down in the present tense what's going on. That's the first thing. It's in the present tense. Uh, the second thing, um, what he wants agrees with God. I so want what God wants. And uh, is that really the definition of an unbeliever? Right? Haven't we seen hostile to God, uh, unrighteous in our walk and selfish in where we're headed. And he's like, I just want what God wants. And uh, that doesn't jive. Uh, he wants what God wants. That's an issue if he's an unbeliever. Number three, the words no longer in verses 17 and 20. No longer. Notice he says, verse 17. Um, let me jump to it here. He says in verse 16, now I do what I do not want. I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. Some big change just occurred, man. What was it? He was saved, right? Before it was I doing this. It was all me. That's all I had was me and sin. And then I'm saved. And all of a sudden I is separated. And we just saw the picture as the spirit and the mind are now being renewed by God. And the flesh is something separate banging in sin. And no longer is the statement. He is no longer. And then I'll just throw these last two out real quick. They're in the next passage. But verse 24 says, oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? He's looking for a savior. And that's what a saved person does is they grasp their need for savior. And then 25 is the ultimate capstone. Thanks be to God. Worship in the present tense. This is Paul as a believer, okay? I just want to make that clear. That is absolutely what's going on. This is a normal struggle of sin for the believer. And uh, big deal. Notice he says now, let's jump back to verse 16. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it but sin that dwells in me. Are you hearing him make a distinction now between I and sin? That's theologically appropriate. 
God's working in your spirit and your mind. He's renewing you and transforming you, but he is not transforming the flesh. It is staying in you. It is banging all for you and about you. And it's all about selfishness, flesh hanging there, but your spirit and your mind and your heart just being renewed up. God doing an amazing work in you. And distinguishing between I and sin, absolutely appropriate for the believer. Remember I said this before, but you kind of become a schizophrenic of sorts, right? Like I so want what God wants and I so don't. And what's up with that? This is what's going on, okay? And uh, he says, for I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. So important. Nothing good dwells in me in my flesh, Speaking to the flesh, nothing good dwells there. You know, we were, I was raised in the western suburbs of Chicago. There's this town uh, just east of us, southeast of us, um, called Summit. And they made corn products there. And uh, have you ever smelled what comes off of corn products? Oh, my word. (laughs) Nothing good came from Summit. (laughs) That's all we kept. Like, as soon as the wind blew from the southeast, you're like, oh, I'm not going outside, man. That's horrible. Well, I should take this back. There was one good thing from Summit. They had these burritos the size of your head. They were like awesome. So we used to drive in there, literally shove stuff up our nose so we couldn't smell. Drive into this little Mexican spot, buy burritos the size of our face and get out of there. Right? There was one thing good from Summit. Nothing good comes from our flesh. There is a stench coming off of the flesh that is horrific and selfish And so offensive to our God, may we not enjoy that. Set it aside, push it aside, want God to be transforming the me that needs to be rejecting it. Done with that. Nothing good comes from the flesh. Nothing. And he says at the end here then, but I don't even have the ability to carry it out. Um, So true and so missed. As believers, when we are saved, we all of a sudden want to teach this. You, in and of yourselves, now have the ability to live perfectly. And uh, there's like this really hopeful teaching that is they're like, you can do it. And, and then we go home and we're like, I can so do it. And like 10 minutes in, you're like, what's the matter with me? And right. And because we're not listening to what he's actually saying, he's saying, I personally don't have the ability to carry it out. What's wrong with me? What's wrong with you is your mind needs renewing. Your spirit needs transforming. And every moment you make that decision to follow sin, it's just an indicator of that part of you that needs to be brought closer to Christ. His glory pouring over you. And as you behold his glory, he transforms you. And now your mind and spirit getting to a new level of maturity are like, so not listening to that that thing speak. And you're ignoring the flesh in that area. That was not your work. That was God's work in you. That's our hope. Holy Spirit pouring over us, changing us from one degree of glory to the next. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want, that is what I keep on doing. Try to say that fast three times over. Right? And uh, I'm not doing the good I want to do, but the the good that I, what I don't want. Right? Like we trip on it right away. Let's just say it this way. I want to do that and I can't. And I, and I don't want to be over here, and I am. And Simple statement. It is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. What does that mean? I'm just telling you this. God has declared over you what he is now doing in you. 
And he is proud to be about doing that. He is ready to be about doing that. Your God at work in your soul, giving you victory step by step and day by day. And each moment you trip, it's not a moment where there is shame before your God, but a need to just get back before him and confess and get it clean. May your God actually have his way with your soul. That's what it looks like. And uh, man, as we talk through this regular battle with sin, every one of us having our list, whatever it is, it's time for us to come before him with it. So I'm just going to ask the worship team to come on up and uh, I'm going to ask us to take a little moment before him. Let's just spend some time before God saying, Lord, thank you for this truth. I'm ready to hand this over to you. All right. And uh, let me just pray. Father God, Lord, right now, we hear the truth of your word and the promise that we can have victory. We know that your spirit is doing a work in us. And yet, Lord, so often we feel what Paul's saying here. I feel sold under sin. I feel like I can't do it on my own. And what do I do next? And Lord, may you just be our answer right here and right now as we come before you. We thank you and we praise you. Do me a favor just first here. We're going to do a little what we call spiritual breathing, just in and out. First is the inhaling. Some truths for you. First John 1 John 1.9, he is faithful and just to forgive. Whatever you're struggling with, your God is faithful and just to forgive. Thank him for that. Praise him for that. Psalm 86.15, I know you are merciful and gracious. Luke 17.3, I know you are immediate to forgive. Just spend time with your God, praising him for his forgiveness. Now the exhaling, the confessing out what sins come to mind, what's God speaking to you in. Maybe it's your marriage that needs adjustment. Maybe it's your mouth. By the way, what comes out of your mouth, it's an indicator of what's in your heart. So how are you thinking? What are your attitudes? What do you need to set before your God right now where it's like, God, I just need to be done with it. I so want that done in me now, Lord. Breathing back in the greatness of our God. Get this now. The almighty king of the universe speaks and things come into existence. The almighty God of everything who loves with all that he can, who is king over all. He cares for you and right where you are. He came to the cross humbly. He provided his shed blood on the cross for you and as he breathed his last breath he cried these words out it is finished for you worship him right now
Malachi 3.6 says the Lord your God is awesome and he never changes. Isaiah 40.30 that he gives power to the weak. That's the God you're praying to right now. Hand it over to him. Worshiping him. Now breathing out again one more time. Psalm 139, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Search me, O God. Spend a little time before your God calling out. Whatever he reveals, confess right where you are. Lay it down. Right now you are gripped with something and the Lord is pressing and you're looking at your watch instead and saying, God, I don't want to do business here. It's time. Let him press in. Confess it out. May he start to do a transforming work in you. last inhaling just breathing in here again God I so thank you that you have provided the way that your glory transforms and that if I sit before you you begin to shape and change my very mind and heart you are awesome God you are capable God You have everything from me now, attention-wise, Lord. You deserve my worship. I hand it over to you because on my own I am sold under sin. And with you, there is victory. Worship your God right now. And the victory over sin you can have day by day. close in prayer here before we sing Lord we look at Romans chapter 7 and we're stunned with the promise of this that there's hope with you and it's not in the law and it's not in our actions and it's not that we work hard it's that you do the work Father God we worship you and we celebrate you we constantly find ourselves back on our knees Lord and you know that and you're aware of that and you have declared over us what you are now doing in us Lord we worship you and we celebrate you and we cry out change us Lord change us day by day that you might get the glory it's in your mighty name we pray these things and all of God's people said